0: I don't know. I'm curious to revisit when you came up with and like immortality on the whole world itself. Because I always tell people, one of the reasons I, like legitimately one of the reasons I did Bonfire is because of that time. Like I yeah. thought it was one of the, it, it is one of the most formative experiences is to watch a world form. Like the creative process of that and, and like that whole Tolkien quote of the myth that we create, you know, about the myths that we create. And I'd never seen that happen. I actually literally got to watch it happen or like be around for it and, and a little bit of a little part of it. And it just like, I don't know, it was formative for me. There's something about it that that I've always wondered about and I've always wondered... I know it kind of just like happens and you almost like follow the thread yourself. Like you just sort of unwind it as time goes. Like you haven't really, I don't know. I don't want to talk about that. Um, yeah, that I don't like know. I mean, start. yeah, I mean, let's start <laughs> there and then see where, see where the heck this goes. Um, I mean, there's so many things I want to talk about, but I don't know if it's a podcast for now. Uh, cause I, I think they're more like topics that I really want to get into and that's why I need to just continue to do this. But those are more yeah. the whole, you know, the the whole new agey and psychedelics and, oh, well, and all that have some kind of stuff. About that. Okay, so, so. I've been
1: reading a, a book, Strange uh Strange rites and New Religions oh, yeah, for yeah. A Godless World by um uh Tara Isabella Burton. Very good book. We actually yeah. didn't finish it yet, because it came to the library, so we had to return it. So now we're probably gonna have to wait and check it out again. Or just buy it. Most likely buy it. But, <laughs> yeah. So I should yeah. say I have some half finished thoughts about it. Cause you know, I haven't finished the book yet. So
0: yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd be curious to hear. Yeah. I think there's like a, there's a genuine, like genuine creation and artistic creation. And then there's like drugged artistic creation and there's the whole world of psychedelics and people who take them in order to be inspired. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, uh, I mean, that's another thing. Again, I, I don't know if I want to talk about that as much because that's like an interesting sort of side tangent. Um, but what I really do want to talk about is let's maybe start with the creation process of the world of immortalis or of the the world of Mundus and then like how that started. I genuinely want to know, like how did that originally start in yeah. you? Like what, what's? The, I mean, I know you were just bored... <laughs> trying to go through med school, but or why AMT did that school, or EMT yeah. school? But like, why, why write in the first place? And then also like, yeah, I mean, I kind of hear, I know some of the story, but I'm kind of curious, like maybe let's start there.
1: Yeah. Um, in terms of the why, write I don't know. i I actually was going through my old, uh, my old like really old google docs which i used in high school too and i found some old writing projects of mine and uh, i kind of remembered i've tried to start writing at several points throughout you know life i did creative writing like a creative writing competition in high school and that didn't go super well um
0: i actually remember that what did you write on i couldn't even
1: tell you i'd have to reread it but
0: I remember you did that. It was something like at Hathaway Brown or
1: some. Yeah. Yeah. yeah some like stuck up school. I don't I really <laughs> yeah. remember. It was, I felt really, I think I was the only person from Benedict in there, which, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I didn't really feel like I belonged. Um, I mean, in terms of, yeah, in terms of the writing, I think I just wanted to write. I've liked writing. I've liked reading. Um, I really enjoyed writing going through, uh, my undergrad at WCC And I think I was tired of writing academically um, because they just made us write so many papers there. Uh, But then I came out of WCC, started going through EMT school and started taking prereqs for med school and got really tired of the science stuff. So it was like really, I mean, in my mind, I think it was like the most natural route to go was go write something creative, go write like a story about something. Um, And yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I started to do.
0: Do you think that med school, and I've thought a lot about this as I get into computer programming and something that my uh, Anthony, my brother-in-law said to me was that like coding or computer programming is sort of the most distilled version of the scientific process. Just an interesting thought. Um, this was just in his, like, it was like, it's something in passing that he said to yeah. me and I just I mean, can't he's stop. He's an engineer. So, he's an yeah. engineer. <laughs> um, so yeah. something that I like can't stop thinking about though. Cause it's, in- it's an interesting thought. Um, but there's also something like wildly creative about it. Like you're coming up with something. Yeah. And there is also something wildly creative about engineering and, and about science in some, in some sense, but like, I mean, i've it... always i've always thought of them as almost pitted against one another uh like the the creative process and the the art like artistic expression and science and the hard sciences of being like diametrically opposed to one another yeah. and I'm not so sure about that because there's even a comment in uh, about uh Archimedes, or not Archimedes but on uh euclid's Euclid's elements where it says like euclid you know, looked upon beauty bear, some review, I think, for, I, I don't know if it was from the New yeah. York Times, some review on Euclid's, you know, geometry. All right. yeah, and, and plastered and it, it was, on the back. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. And it was like, it was like, you know, he alone has looked upon beauty bear. Um, so there's like, but there, and there's something there. There is something true about that. There's something like wildly creative about Euclid's elements. And there's something wildly creative about like coding and about mm-hmm. science. But, I don't know what are your thoughts like are is it is it diametrically opposed or is it can they go hand in hand and also like why then did you feel the need to have that creative outlet if you are going to med school like what drove you to be like, look, I need oh, to my goodness, I need to have a creative outlet here
1: um I don't know if it was necessarily because of the the uh I wasn't doing math like going especially. 'Cause I started writing when I was going through my EMT program, right? And most of what I mean, you got your EMT too, like most of what we did there was kind of boring. Boring. Actually. It was like rote memorization. Yeah. It was, like go memorize like this list of traumatic injuries <laughs> yeah. and these organ systems and then rattle them off to me, you know, while I pretend to have a shattered femur and whatever. Anyways, I think it was more about that aspect. Uh, than it was about the the sciences because i I really do love the sciences, and there is a um, i mean i guess i 'm still just doing rote memorization with most of it, but I do enjoy that. I think it was more yeah it was more about the fact that what I was expressly trying to do was just hammer something into my brain um and so I really wanted a way to then like put something out, I guess. So, yeah, but to answer your original question, like I don't think they're diametrically opposed at all. Uh, I think it's some poet, maybe Milton, uh, or maybe we were just talking about this in relation to Milton. Um, the idea that you know poets flourish because of the bounds on them, mm-hmm. like because of the restrictions of you know the the rhyme or the meter or the fact that you know. This type of poem is exactly this long and, you know, you have to fulfill these constraints. Like, they thrive because of that. Um, I think science, and maybe more specifically, like, the scientific method, provides a framework to understand the world. Uh, and, I mean, this is something I've kind of gotten more into as I've developed more of the world. Um, but the world of mundus is just that I need a framework to understand even my creative world. And a large part of that is almost like creating this... Uh, I don't exactly know what to call it, but like a... Yeah, like creating a framework for the world. You know, like what are the laws, what are the rules and restrictions for my world that I'm creating? Um, and once I have those, it actually makes it easier for me to be creative. Like once I know the limits I can actually start to, to flourish so I think you see that in the sciences as well like I think once you start to really understand the limits of your field or the limits of, of uh, what you're working on you can actually start to flourish and you can see like some incredible growth in different scientific fields we're not really talking about anything specific so I'm struggling to think of specific <laughs> yeah, examples. Yeah. we're really talking in generalities here, but, um, so what about, okay,
0: what did you, what inspired the limits of your world? So like what inspired both limits of, of, of your world and what did you use as reference points for the framework of your world and how did you sort of, I suppose, discover the frameworks of your world yeah. and, um, I know you've thought about this so I'm 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 yeah this is something that's yeah it's interesting uh
1: at first it was necessity uh and we haven't really talked about it I mean you and I have talked about this before but in this conversation we haven't yeah. really talked about this you know I the way that I started writing the world was really haphazard like I just randomly started writing one day didn't have a long term plan at all didn't even recognize that I was writing a book and Even by the time that I had finished writing book one, I still hadn't even really thought out the world too much. Like, I think a lot of people start, just from what I've seen uh, with other writers, you know, I've been a part of a couple writers groups now. And what I've seen with a lot of them is that they they start the process with the world building. They start the process with, like, the setting of those limits. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they start to write. I started the process by, like, just f- writing random stuff. Yeah. And coming up with characters just on the fly, boom. And, you know, they'd, you know, they'd be leaving this place, so they need to go to a new place. So, crap, got to come up with a new place. And, I don't know, let's just uh, make it – let's put this city on a lake. <laughs> I don't know. That sounds kind of cool. <laughs> and then, you know, but then in book two, now we're going back to that city, and I have to think, like, oh, shoot – How would that actually work? You know, why'd they end up on a lake? Like what's, you know, this doesn't make any sense, but I've already written like 400,000 words. So I kind of have to justify it at this point. I want to (laughs) go rewrite the whole story. (laughs) And so then I, am kind of having to backtrack and lay the rules, which I probably should have laid in the first place. But
0: Well, I don't know about that though, because there's, there's something almost like if you build the world first there's always the tendency maybe to be over-restrictive or under-restrictive, right? And and, And finding the balance between having limits set upon yourself and upon the world, and then, but also like having the freedom to just because I think sometimes like you are, and this is this is why I get in like why why you know, are the sciences good for creativity or bad for creativity? because like there's something that I think a lot of people think of. it's like you know, if I have no limits, I can be wildly creative. I can go in any direction I want to, my imagination could run wild, right, yeah, which like fair enough, for sure. Uh, there's something to that, I suppose. But at the same time, it's like... But then if you really want to take that thing that you just, like, wildly just, like, threw upon a wall and yeah. make it into something actually beautiful, then you have to start to actually take the the colors and the patterns that you just, like, pooped onto a wall and... you got to add a little definition. Yeah, you got to add, like, yeah. definition to them and be like, what is this actually... What is What is this yeah. thing? Which is, I think, partly where... You know, I think that's partly where like modern art gets off, right? Because there's there's a there's a um, there's a tendency to just literally take, you know, colors and splatter them onto a canvas and then be like, this expresses this or then, mm-hmm. you know, people have all these ideas of like, Well if I'm if I'm doing something, like if I'm doing something expressive, then the painting expresses the thing that I'm doing and, and all these elements that I'm just a bunch of weird stupid things that people are like well it means this thing and if you only knew the process you know but it's like yeah but the thing itself the end product has never been defined there's no definition to it there's nothing that i can actually grasp onto i can look at i can recognize i can actually have any sort of connection to as a human being it just looks like a yeah. Someone shit on a canvas. It's like sometimes they did just shit on a canvas <laughs> and I call it art. So it's like it's like you know, I, you, know uh, you know. But, um, but but at the same time, it's like there is part of that that is artistic, where it's like there's just this wild expressive expression. Yeah. But then also the definition. So I'm not sure, of, like if if having created the rules and the formation of the world first you yeah. necessarily make the end thing or if like you said, almost discovering it as you go, because it, there is some, and I this is another, another thing I'd ask is like, what like the, the part of like self discovery, like what part of like self, like discovering the world along with your characters and along with actually like, as you write, you discover, right? Which is, yeah, which was really interesting to watch. I'll be honest. That was one of the most interesting things to watch which was, just, which was like, you know, I remember the, like the first chapters that you sent me, were one thing and they are wildly different <laughs> than what, than what, From what I mean, they not, are now. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they're yeah, still yeah, the yeah. same characters, still like the same settings and things like that, but like the, the interior, the details of the story changed drastically as time yeah. went on and I think changed for the better, um, most definitely, but it was interesting to watch that almost like self-discovery, like you were discovering the world that's why I said I loved what, like I loved like opening it up at night yeah. and like reading, reading as you were writing. Like I'd be like reading the part that you were writing. I'd be like, dude, you gotta write more. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I'm honestly, to... this,
1: I, I mean, I told you this to you yesterday, but I feel like you're the only, <laughs> you're like the only one who enjoyed watching that process. I don't know if it's because we like think similarly, but like Caitlin is, uh, she hated watching that process. She he was always did. super annoyed. You know, I'd give her something to read and then four days later, I'd give her like the same chapter to read, and she'd be like, "Paul, it's been like four days. Like you can't just change everything." And I was like, but, "Babe, it's the creative process." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't like this character's name. I didn't like what he did, so I killed him. Like I don't know. <laughs> um, and now I've got to change the whole book. Uh, I don't think I've actually done that yet. No, but you thank goodness that'd be. Uh, the cre- yeah, I don't know. I think something I was thinking about was that there there are kind of like two, and this is just more as I write more. I think there's two yeah. sort of um, principles maybe that, are, that, are, that I need to hold in tension in the sense that, yeah, on the one hand, I just want to be creative. Like I want to explore this world with my characters um, at the same time. Uh, or I guess on the other hand, I also need... Like I also need to be the architect of this world, um and I need to provide some amount of cohesiveness to the world, right so it's like, yeah, it's great to just travel with a character and to a new place to find you know a city built on a lake and and be like, "Whoa, that's crazy, it's awesome um but behind the scenes, then I also have to think of. You know, how is this going to fit in with the rest of the world? Um, like, yeah. does, does the, I mean, this is something that actually, I never, I, it, I don't think it actually really comes through in the writing, should but it's
0: something, put that down. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <I'm> the, <laughs> you just stop playing with the mic. No, just. I, know, it's just, <laughs> I know it gets kind of fun. got to take my meds. Um, no. No.
1: I, uh, is the climates, this is, this is weird, but interesting. Yeah. It's the climates of the different. Uh, cities and how that would form the people. It's not something I thought of at first. It's not something I thought of probably all throughout book one. But as soon as book two starts, this is not really spoilerish. But in book two, just geographically, you see yeah, some of the south. Yeah, and most of book one stayed in essentially two climates. Right, you had like this general, normal, medieval England climate kind of thing. And then you had like a more uh, equatorial climate. That was it. And I never thought really anything of it other than, okay, these people are probably going to fish a little more down in in the equator. (laughs) Like, honestly, I never really thought about it. Once book two hit, I realized, hey, not only do I, like, should I actually be thinking about how the climate and how, like, the actual geography of the world would affect these different cities and peoples. But it might actually help me in my discovery of the world, right? Like, it might help me to understand what a... Like, it might it might help me to create a, um, for example, uh, like, rainforest tribe, you know? Yeah. It might help me in creating them to know what... Uh, what a rainforest is like. Like, literally, what just what the ecosystem of a rainforest is like. What kind of food do they have access to? Interesting. What kind of lives are they going to be living on a day-to-day basis? What kind of threats are they going to be dealing with? All right. Now, this is a pretty developed civilization. So, how would they have gotten there? Right? Cool. That's awesome. What are they going to look like now? You know, like, a thousand years after this civilization has, like, started, like, planted roots and grown. And they've been uprooted a couple times, come back, started to, like, live in... Like, near harmony with the rainforest, what are they going to look like now? Um, But it's those, like, so I guess what I'm trying to say is finding the, like, the creativity process, I guess, would bring me to the point where, you know, my character comes to a rainforest and finds people in the rainforest and finds this this town. Or maybe this town on the edge of the rainforest. I'll use an actual example from the book. They go to this town on the edge of a rainforest, right? They interact with these people there. It's a really cool interaction in the book. You know, they get to see this new culture. um, And that's something I wrote just like off the cuff, just just flying by the seat of my pants kind of thing. Because I was like, this is really awesome. Um, Later, I went back, edited. uh, This is the first chapter of book two. Edited that chapter and did like a full day and a half, two days of research into actual Amazonian tribes. Yeah. And then tried to figure out, sort of extrapolate from that, and say, okay, well, what I set up was not a tribe literally living in the rainforest, but a tribe on the edge of the rainforest. Um, okay, what would that look like? Kind of extrapolate from that, and then sort of add in some, some of my own touches. Yeah. And start to fill out the vision. Yeah. And how much of that actually makes it into the book, I don't really know. Yeah. A lot of it is just for me. Um... I don't think I edited the chapter even that much. I think the most I added was like a comment about a liquor they were drinking. Yeah. But for me, for my sake, I was like, I filled this all out. It makes sense to me now. You know, I'm not going to go in and write like a dissertation on Amazonian <laughs> yeah. tribes in the rainforest. <laughs> yeah. But for my sake, I need that structure. Yeah. Um, because otherwise the world doesn't make sense to me. And I kind of just fall apart uh, writing huh. uh, or at least editing. Yeah, that was really long-winded. I'm sorry. I think no, no, that's kind of intentional.
0: No, no, it's interesting. Um, Yeah, I mean, off of that, I guess I think the natural question is how much this world plays a part in the created, like the creative work, right? And and Mm -hmm. you have different. So, I mean, again, we've talked about this. I mean, of course. You know, hopefully the people who listen to this podcast actually listen you know, like Tolkien. <laughs> um, I don't you know, know. It's hard to find people who don't like Tolkien. Yeah. It's quintessential sort of but then you have people like Sanderson, you have all of these different fantasy writers. Uh, you know, we both have liked Paulini. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have like everybody's created these different worlds and and all of them have elements of this world. Like you can't get away from Um, having elements of this world, but like how much, how much does this world and how much do the laws and the, the formation of this world play into the creation of another world and, and how much of it is also like the dreaming up of, um, oh, if things might be ideal or if certain curtains might be removed or if certain veils might be lifted in this world to see other dimensions of being, right? Yeah. So, like, if we were to look upon other dimensions of being in this world that do exist, you know, like, what would that actually be like if we were in more... Yeah, if we were in we the cont- fourth dimension. Like, yeah, like, yeah, or like, you know, and right. um, this gets into the whole thing. I, man, I was listening to... Uh, it bothers me. It bothers me so much. But, like you know people were talking about how oh my gosh if only I think it was I think it was actually Joe was talking about how um he's talking like one of the Weinsteins and how they were saying oh, how yeah. scientists are now believing that there's other dimensions of being and then like quantum the, mechanics all that yeah stuff. all this yeah. kind of stuff right and it's like yeah, I mean, this is something that has been known since like thousands. Of, I mean, every ancient people, everybody has always known. That there's yeah. di- the like if Plato's you wanna,
1: world of forms, hide Yeah, like, talked you, about like the uh, I forget what he called it, like the place beyond the veil or something. You're just like using, that,
0: yeah, you're using like a, a different, I suppose, scientific term for what we've already already known, which is like, yeah, there are, and and this gets into the whole New Agey stuff, which is like the whole you know people are always like searching for this you know to lift the veil into the to the spiritual realm or to other dimensions of being, right? And mm-hmm. it's like yeah, there are other dimensions of being. We already know this. Like, let's, yeah. let's, let's maybe start there and let's talk about what we already know. But it was interesting to listen. This is, again, a side note, but uh, and we'll go back to the original question. But it was interesting to listen to them talk because it, uh, it was like, and Joe Ruin was like, man, if people only knew that there were other dimensions of being, like other beings who were communicating with us yeah. From these dimensions, yeah, yeah, people would stop worrying about all this. You know, I think we bullshit. shot some
1: of their balloons down recently. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we shot them. yeah.
0: Like, like, Still don't know what those are, yeah, those are. Yeah, yeah, definitely not other dimensions. Uh, but, but the but like, but um, yeah, like we would just stop worrying about all of this silly stuff. And it's like, well, actually. That's not true. Funny enough, human beings have this weird thing where we continue to worry about the things, even though we absolutely know that there are other spirits and other beings that are interacting with us. In fact, oftentimes we still continue on our ways, which is one of the mysteries of humanity. But that's another side note. But anyways, I want to go back to the question of like like how much does the lifting of the veil, like when you're almost how much of, of, of this world plays into the world that you've created and how much of it is like trying to lift the veil into other worlds or, or to sort of yeah, you know, like the interaction between all of these things. And, and, and the, again, kind of the, this whole idea of how do you create a world? How do you create a different world? But like, I don't know. I mean, again, like how much of this was just sort of flying by the seat of your pants, how much of this was, okay, I fly by the seat of my pants, I discover it. And then I dig into it later on.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, for book one, and honestly a lot of the world building initially it was just i mean it was just yeah
0: making it up as i went um to be perfectly honest yeah like but, i but i remember you took i remember i remember very early on you like you took the idea for the again I, i'm not going to really give away much here but like you took the idea for like the magic and the the the, the otherworldly forces from the 3 like principles of physics, the three laws of physics, the or... the, no,
1: the four preternatural relationships, oh, there you go uh, that's what it is,
0: yeah, uh wait four yeah, four, four, yeah,
1: yeah, um, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, that was something that I had, yeah, actually, I guess you're right about that there were there were things that I had in mind and was thinking about and had thought about for a while, um, you know, I did my junior author project on Kurt Vonnegut, and so I had a lot of like his uh. Had a lot of his themes in mind throughout that time. Um, what are his themes? Just to give a little bit of context, uh, give a couple. Of- <laughs> geez, this is pulling me back a little bit. Um, in the Sirens of Titan, that was one of the books I largely focused on. Uh, one of the things that I took away from that and, and really harped on, especially my junior author project, was basically his desire to essentially know more about the human nature like this this desire to learn and this recognition that he did not know everything um something that i continue to come back to reading vonnegut is that he was able to recognize that he was on let me let me kind of like back up a little bit i think there's a lot of people who maybe right thinking that they know everything, like they they've got the answers right. I think Vonnegut, one of the things that stuck sticks out to me and continues to stick out to me is that he is painfully aware of the fact that he doesn't really know a whole lot about anything. Hmm. And that's kind of okay. Socrates. Um, so- a little bit, yeah, a little yeah. bit a little bit Socrates. And that's something that I I still love about reading his books. Um, you know, his characters truly are on journeys and they're wild and wacky and reading him often does feel like probably, a you know, a, a psychedelic trip. Like, reading Slaughterhouse-Five, you've got this character... Spoiler alerts for people. You know, you've got this character who you know, fights in World War II, all this stuff, and then, ooh, suddenly whisked away to an alien planet, and he's put in this zoo with this super hot, naked actress, and, oh, now we're flashing back to his life on Earth, and he's older, and he's married to this kind of, like, old hag, and now we're kind of going back to Montana Wild Hack and the alien planet. Like, it's kind of psychedelic. It's this journey. And then The Sirens of Titan, you know, you have this character who is just sort of swept along through an almost... Like Dante's Inferno type deal, just to these different planets. Um, There's a lot of themes of religion in The Sirens of Titan. And, you know, Vonnegut himself was a humanist, but at the very end of The Sirens of Titan, he. This is massive spoilers for the end of it, in case anybody wants to read it. Um, (laughs) Massive spoilers. The main character dies. And as he's dying, he. Basically, sees the heavens open up. Um, he sees someone coming down from the heavens, and, and he basically is like, you know, has this vision of 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 heaven, of going to heaven. Vonnegut wasn't really a fan of organized religion at all. He liked Jesus. He liked Jesus in the sense that he liked the Beatitudes, right? He, he thought okay. that Jesus had some good ideas. He thought organized religion was a sham, it was awful, did awful things to people. Um, he had his reasons for it, but despite that he wasn't railing against sort of the underlying ideas behind that. He actually like, he was open to the idea that, Hey, maybe I could be wrong about this. Like maybe Mm. there's something more to this and I just don't see it and I don't see it. And I need to explore like my own nature a little bit more. Um, Mm. so that's something that's always stuck out to me. Like with Rubens, the main character and, uh, in Immortalis, that's something that I think is fundamental to his character. I was thinking about this, I don't want to spoil anything for book <laughs> two because book one isn't even out yet. But <laughs> one of the things that's central to his character is this idea that he, uh, especially as the story goes on, uh, like, is that he just continues to push towards an ideal. Um, I mean, spoiling the ideal isn't really spoiling anything. You get something like book one but peace. Like Rubens is is this this guy who is obsessed with peace and it doesn't it's not really a well thought out idea. Like Rubens never explains what this peace is. I don't even think he rightfully knows what this peace is. He just has this vague, airy idea of peace because, you know, he was a child soldier, right? Like since he's been 12 years old probably even younger, he's just had this idea that peace is something good. I want peace. Right. And as he grows throughout the war and when we first meet him in book one, you know, he has this, these little tastes of peace, right. You know, one of the big images for him is, is sitting on this, this island in a lake, right. And smoking his pipe and like just listening to the water and like the wind through the grass. And for him, that's like an image of peace. It's not well-defined Anyway, the central tenet to Rubens, or I guess one of the central drives in Rubens' character, is just this idea that he will do what it takes to, A, figure out what peace is. How do we... And then, B, achieve that peace. Like, that's Mm -hmm. kind of what's going on behind the scenes for him, you know? Yeah. And to me, that's a little bit, or I guess that kind of was born out of this idea that what Vonnegut was doing in a lot of his books was, was trying to strip away, um, so many of the extraneous parts of humanity and get to the core of, of what, like what a human was, you know, what do we as humans desire? What do we know? You know, he's got this great line about, um, in Sirens of Titan, it's kind of satirical. He goes like, Outwardness at, lo- at last had lost all its attractiveness or something, or, or we had explored outwardness entirely. The only place left for yeah. mankind to turn was was inside, was himself, like only the soul main terra incognita. Anyway, I think that's very central to Vonnegut's philosophy and and... That's where we've gotten mindset.
0: To. Yeah, it's where we've almost gotten to as a culture. Too. Yeah, I mean, we've gotten to this place where people we we have sort of. I mean, you still have people pushing for more outward exploration. Well, you have a lot of I think the younger generations, kind of tired of it, like tiring of this this outward exploration. Like, well, what about what about the stuff that's gone inside? Like a lot of yeah. the you know, like the people who have pushed outwards maybe being their father, their moms or their dads or their their their, you know, their older siblings and like they've seen them push outwards and they have been left behind or they have felt deep wounds and and loneliness. Um and then a thing that you were and you touched on, I think, is one that I think so many people relate to, which is the the desire for peace or that Rubens you sort of built into Rubens' character, which is like you have this fuzzy idea of peace. And I think we all sort of have that. We have these like yeah. moments that stick out to us. Of like times that we had genuine peace and like happiness, yeah, and happiness, and and sometimes they're just like they're like literally fleeting moments in a single day when we were twelve years old or yeah. ten years old or eight years old or five years old, and like and you like probably we probably can't even remember like the circumstances surrounding. No. it. No, probably just
1: remember that oh, like that was a that great was, day. That was a great moment. Yeah, and you like maybe when you think about it you wish you could like distill like okay how to get there how do i get there again like let's let's get that going forever like let's make that
0: happen and as the old and and the older you get the fuzzier sometimes those moments and those memories become and and the harder it is to even remember like you said the circumstances around them and yet like you said like there's this desire of but I want that. Like, that's the thing that I, I desire. I deeply desire that thing, right? That, that, that place. And, you know, maybe there's some people who have gone off and said, I don't want that at all. I don't know. But I think there's a deep desire in the human, human heart to like, like try to find a way back to those or the place that those moments define, right? Mm -hmm. Like those, those moments almost define and create or are, or are calling forth a certain place, or defining a certain place, and we want to get to that place. And what is that place? And how do we get there? And, and we all have the experience of growing up, and getting, you know, becoming functioning adults in society jaded grizzled old men (laughs) at the ripe age of 24 yeah (laughs) the things i've seen yeah yeah it's ridiculous (laughs) the things i've seen the things i've done i can't no i yeah it's ridiculous no but it's (laughs) no no i I know what you're saying but there's but there's like a certain like you you begin to realize like i've got to speed up like and 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 sometimes, rightfully, I, I think about this often about you know becoming a father and 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 a husband and a father, which is like you know there is a part of putting away some ideals and yeah. just hey, I've got to make, I got to make like I've got to make the soil of the earth bring forth some sort of fruit, or yeah. I or I'm going to die and I'm not going to be doing my duty to take care of my family, and so there's a certain like. I've got to put off that dream to go search for that place of peace for a time. And then I'll be able to go back to it. Now, I don't think that's actually true. And I think this is, there's a mystery here, which is like in precisely in putting it, quote unquote, putting it off. I don't think we get really, especially for, for, for men and, 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 Maybe I'll go. I'll go down this tangent. Fine, whatever. Screw. It. Right, I'll go down yeah, this tangent. That's fine. <laughs> so we'll get back. We'll get back yeah. to where we were going eventually. I
1: have. Yeah, I feel like I need a notepad to like write <laughs> yeah. down my thoughts on the way. Yeah, it's we'll just just, <laughs> just keep publish, it all there. Publish them in a in a document later. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, no, there, there's a there's a aspect of um young men today, and and just men in general today, where there's this there's this there's this desire to stay young exactly what you're talking about which this it's the same thing these moments of peace or like or just a desire to be and many of them are are i think contained within childhood and many of them are contained within our early years before innocence is ripped violently away from us from you know the by this cold world which to be fair you know there's a couple things in growing up and one of them one of one of the things you have to come to terms with is that like this world is at times a very brutal and cruel place and it's it's... classic loss of innocence yeah Yeah, like like that is one thing that you do have to come to terms with um as you get older and and uh but but i think people sort of have this experience and they they want to go back to those things of childhood good desire i think that's actually a legitimate desire and i and i've said this to you um before and i've Tried to say this to other people as well. Um, (laughs) I don't know how many people have listened to this one. But I think there's a great mystery, and it's something that I wrestled with. Like, I didn't think I was going to struggle getting married and then becoming a father. Like, I didn't think I was going to struggle with this, like, desire to stay young and do things Mm -hmm. that, quote unquote, young people do go off on vacations and trips and travel and have all these crazy experiences, yeah. beautiful experiences, wonderful experiences. Again, tour, tour Europe. Put a up Europe. on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I know, yeah. like, Sorry. No, there's, there's like, they're all like legitimately good experiences. I'm not like knocking the experience itself. No, th- yeah. But no, I think, no, it's, I think it's, it's, I think there's is, more of like good. this, this like, if I don't have a family, if, if I don't have, if I, if I don't become a, you know, get married and settle down and have a family, I'll be able to do these experiences and do these things that I really want to do. And yet, I think one of the greatest mysteries is like when you do have a child, and this is coming from like a man, and I and I, this is absolutely a man, a man's experience of this. Uh, I don't know, uh, you know, fully. I, I still got to you know hash this out with Nicole. Like all that women, because women experience something I think totally different and unbelievable. But you end up with this little child, and for me, I have a son, and you watch your son start to grow up, and. Your childhood suddenly returns. Like the thing that you were searching for, the desire to become a child again, to preserve your childhood, happens if you allow yourself to become present to your child. Now, yeah. it won't happen if you continue to go searching for these other things. And it's one of the big things that you end up having to fight in yourself, which is like, I feel like I need to go do this thing because I need to build something. I need to. Be successful, I need to... Make a lasting impact or something. Make a lasting impact. Do things that are legitimately good as a man to be able to do, right? You have this desire to do those things. Beautiful. Build something lasting um, that you can pass on to your children. Beautiful desire. Absolutely necessary. You should pursue that as well, right? But yet, if you do that at the expense of being present to to your child, you end up losing that very thing that your heart so desires. And you don't even and it's not a selfish thing. It becomes a thing of like you giving yourself to your child, you just making yourself present to them and being and entering their world again. And like playing with the cars with them and listen and, and like, and staying in that world with them and having to fight yourself often with, with this feeling of like, well, I've got this thing that I really want to accomplish today. And if I'm going to be present to my kid, I'm not going to accomplish that. And yet like, the call is more of, hey, just be present. And then in being present, you suddenly rediscover, you're, you are suddenly a child again. Like you're f- rediscovering the heart of a child. Yeah. And I think there's a beautiful almost pattern of human life that this takes place. And it gets into, you know, unveiling certain mysteries and spiritual realities and, you know, other dimensions, right? Like of being, right? Where it's like... Wow. <laughs> um, I'm gonna use that word because it's it's gonna be the thing yeah. that'll catch on with the world, right? Like if, if you wanna if you wanna use that language to talk about if, if you wanna use that language to talk about dimensions. spiritual realities, yeah. fine, I'll use other dimensions of being. Let's yeah. talk about other dimensions. Quantum I believe mechanics. Yeah, fine. Like, yeah. If you wanna use that language if we if that's the language we gotta use. For those little like the, the tardigrade
1: little bear things. Yeah. things the know, truth just is just start the- throwing scientific
0: <laughs> buzzwords out there. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you know, what? and you're still gonna find at the end of the day that the same truth that the ancient ancient you know people knew is the same truth that you're discovering with all of your things, anyways. Because there's it's, a, it's, <laughs> it's, yeah. I don't I was, know. This is
1: kind of a, not really tangential, but I was going through some psychology notes the other day, and um, I guess for context, I'm studying to take the MCAT right now. But anyway one of the one of the notes in the psychology section was that uh, it was kind of a Sarcastic note, not written by me, um, basically saying that all of modern psychology and sociology is simply rediscovering, expounding on, and providing proof that Aristotle and all those other old stuffy philosophers were right. (laughs) Um, And I thought that was kind of funny. And that's something I have kind of noticed. I don't, you know, obviously that's a generalization. They were wrong about many things, Aristotle had no idea how light or vision worked. He was very wrong about about that. that, But a lot of the things that he talked about in in regards of like human nature, what the human want humans want, like how do friendship is a great one, actually like the, his, his idea of friendship, you know, like a, a friendship of utility versus like a true friendship rooted in virtue. Like that's something that we see nowadays being sort of backed by modern uh, like sociology and psychology. like That's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was all back then. Like, like, yeah, kind of what you're saying, we're sort of just rediscovering what the ancients already knew, maybe just by intuition. And now we're providing some of this uh, scientific, I guess you can call it proof, that, hey, this principle, this idea, this intuition that maybe they had turned out to be right. And that's kind of... But what's,
0: what's, what's, <laughs> what's somewhat silly about that is like, we've just changed the methodology for proof, right? Like we've changed what it means to prove something. So it's oh, like, see. Yeah. like, like they did prove it. <laughs> <laughs> just through their methodology of their methodology, methodology right? A little different. Yeah. It's different. Right. So yeah. then we were like, well, we're going to throw it all their methodology and we'll come up with our own methodology. And lo and behold, we've just proved the same thing, yeah. which is like, okay, well, I mean like, you know, I mean, it, it speaks to the fact that there is objective truth and objective reality. Um, yeah, I, yeah, it's a, yeah, that gets yeah. me all the time. I mean, I think I'd, I don't know.
1: There are, uh, there are benefits to the way that that moderns approach things uh that maybe aristotle didn't have you know like Ar- aristotle couldn't see inside of somebody's brain and literally like literally see you know the, the the different areas of the brain being activated kind of thing like i guess what i'm trying to say is that um like yes they had a methodology but i think one of the cool things about uh modernity and postmodernity is that you know, we we have like a, it's almost more concrete. It's almost more tangible to us, or it should be more tangible to us. Um, that we can, you know, look at these things and see the objective truth of them and see like objective reality, like through this now more tangible methodology that we have. Uh,
0: yeah. Because we're looking at brain scans and we're looking at actual, yeah, we're able to we're, look, dig into...
1: Yeah, we're digging into it. I guess psychology and sociology maybe isn't the best field to to talk about there. It's still a little.
0: And they did. I mean, they've come up with some really yeah, innovative ways to yeah. to test things and yeah.
1: but I don't know. It's there there are uh, we're still developing. We're still we're we're adding to the wealth of knowledge and we're um I guess making deeper our knowledge base, you know.
0: Yeah. Um yeah, but, okay, so if we're making deeper knowledge base, it, oh man, this gets into another thing, which is this whole idea now that people have, which is like this, is that Caitlin? Yeah,
1: that's Caitlin. No, that's that's okay, it's, uh... Oh, it's your alarm? It's like, it's like, wow, eight, seven o'clock, or 7.30, or, wow, so I can... Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, she is in Alaska right now. For yeah. anybody wondering, it's, yeah, it's doing some cool stuff with snow.
0: Yeah, which is actually employing really the
1: cool. scientific method. Yeah. yeah with the
0: snow, yeah. which is really fascinating. I've never it's seen snow grains. Awesome. I never realized they're almost like. I mean, they're crystals. They're like these like yeah. beautiful ice crystals. Yeah. Almost like one of them looked like a diamond. The picture that she sent. Yeah, they're really so cool. It's like beautiful diamond.
1: It's really awesome to like the little microscope she has to like watch the the snow grains. Uh, like melt through the microscope huh. um, is a lot of fun. And just to see like the different types of crystals, like I've been out with her before and, you know, we go through like the snow pack and she's like, this is, you know, depth or this is like the, the fresh snow and, you know, like put it on the crystal card, like check it through the microscope. It's really, it's honestly really, really fun You can tell the different, like yeah. the different types, of, like where yeah, the yeah. snow. Well, based on like size and there's different characteristics, you know, you've got, I'm probably going to butcher this, but. I don't know like there's a a difference between like rounded grains and facets uh if that makes sense you know one is maybe no
0: it doesn't make sense all right well (laughs) think
1: of like a traditional pretty snowflake versus something that's been sitting on the ground for a while and has melted and like coalesced into some like yeah chunky boy yeah yeah
0: but it almost looks like the things that have like melted though almost look like diamonds yeah a little well yeah a little bit yeah yeah, like whereas you have this beautiful patterned snowflake that almost turns into like this diamond when it like
1: yeah, eventually starts to to come together with the other snow. Yeah, I don't know. That's a whole tangent. I don't. What wanna... does
0: skied on snow look like? Huh? Skied on? Yeah, it's like, got to be a little bit of friction when like someone takes their skis and goes over a snowpack, and then I'm
1: pretty sure they're just melting the snow. I think. Yeah. Like the know.
0: the friction is just melt. Like they're just.
1: That's for my. brain They're was. basically <laughs> just water skiing <laughs> down just, the hill. Yeah. 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 <laughs> There's no such thing as actual snow skiing. It's all it's water, all like water skiing. skiing. I don't think that's actually true. Powdered but, water skiing. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. I'm yeah. Gotta get some pushback on that one. I think. I like, <laughs>
0: but... Yeah. Sorry, we're getting away from like the the whole. Yeah, we're getting a whole way away from the story. So let's let's try to go back. Let's try to get <laughs> back to creation of stories and how. I oh. think the original question was how do you implement how do you implement um the real how, world yeah how do you implement how much of the real world do you implement and then how much of like the the create the the other dimensions of being how much yeah. are the other realities of of you know leaking into uh your creation of another world and because it has to be different from this world, but yet you know all knowledge comes to the senses you can't yeah. really create anything
1: and it's also really hard to write something that is um that i mean i i I wouldn't even say really hard i think it's impossible to write something that we have not experienced so you have like you have to use language that another human understands right it's kind of like i don't know i don't know if you ever I don't know how universal this experience will be, but like talking to somebody who who has been blind from birth, like trying to describe like a color to them or like something that is exclusively in the visual dimension, it's incredibly difficult, if not just straight up impossible because there's no frame of reference for them. So when you're writing something, like you have to be careful not, I mean, at least for me, I have to be careful not to go too abstract because as soon as you go too abstract, it doesn't make any sense. Right. And um, you can go more abstract, I think, if you lay the groundwork. So, you know, there's some I play a little bit with with like the the mental reality in books. I think a lot of people do this, you know, like scenes taking place in people's minds. And I think the reason that works, you know, yes, it is kind of abstract. But most people have. I don't even I want to say all people hopefully have some kind of dialogue going on in their head. You know, they kind of can. Intuit, it, yeah. all right. Like I get, I can understand that this person is thinking about this or imagining this, or you know, if two characters are having a mental dialogue, they can picture probably what that would be like, and yeah. then in some way relate to that. Like I can imagine what it would be like to talk mentally with you right now. Yeah. Um. Even though I've never done that before. Yeah. You
0: know what's fascinating? I and I don't remember where I heard this. I I know it's from some psychologist. Probably on some podcast, There's a good chance it was Jordan Peterson. (laughs) (laughs) But there's other podcasts I listen to with psychologists, so it may have come from somebody else. And uh, they were talking about, like, the amount of people who don't have the inner dialogue. And there are people. And that almost terrified me of, like, what in the world would... Well, do they, like, think in images or scenes? Mm -hmm. No, they were just saying, like, there's there's just a very small... I don't know if it's smaller or if it's larger than... I can't... Again, this is a very long time ago that I remember listening to this. I remember it kind of blowing me away, which was that yeah, there are there are certain there's a certain segment of the population that has no inner dialogue. They just don't dialogue. Like there is no, and it's like and it gets me thinking about like, did they just like kill their conscience? <laughs> like, I don't know what that like. What did you? Do? How do you not have an inner dialogue? Like how is there no inner? I actually have no idea how that would. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't even know how that like like I don't know how I would live without. I just talk yeah. to myself a lot out loud, but I mean, but that's still an inner dialogue. Right? You're just dialogue yeah, I use dialogue. That's an inner dialogue. you're just talking <laughs> like, to yourself. It's, I guess so. I mean, yeah, I it's,
1: Yeah, it's, it's strange. It's um, weird.
0: Has nothing to do with what we were just talking about, but yeah. it's also
1: whatever. Fine yeah. with me. But yeah, um, I don't know. The bringing, bringing things into the world is um, like, the carryover from this world into the created world. I don't think there's, a, I like, I don't have a formula for it. It's mostly, I mean, everything I write has inspiration from this world. You know, I, I'm not coming up with anything wildly new. Like I'm not, I'm literally not creating anything that is new.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's the, the, the same, like nothing, there's nothing new under the sun. Yeah, um, yeah. But then how much of it are you plucking from, and this is like Tolkien's thing, which is like the, 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 the stew or the pot of which is almost like a uh, the cauldron of stories and elements of stories that that the the mythic you know the the myths and the, all the stories mm-hmm. and fairy tales that have been told up and down the centuries and you know and you know and 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 there are certain things that really end up in that cauldron right yeah. um,
1: i think a lot of that actually comes in in the
0: world building and in the
1: history um so yeah so when you're build like when i'm building a history this isn't really like spoiler territory because it's just the history of a nation but one of the one of the nations in the world you know shind is a northern nation oh, yeah. and it's cool their history um basically they're they're a city in and in a, like that was built inside of a inactive an, an volcano you know way up in the north um they've over centuries, millennia, like hollow this volcano out, like they've got a thriving civilization. And a lot of the stories in universe that um, are ascribed to Shind, you know, I drew a lot of inspiration from Norwegian stories, you know, Scandinavian stories, uh, Viking stories, like that kind of thing. Um, Just because I thought those cultures had a lot of overlap. um, That kind of environment worked well for me. And I also love like that, culture like I, I thought it was really awesome and i thought it'd be really fun to try to you know take those norse that norse mythology um, and also the actual history of the vikings um, and find a way to um to almost I don't want to say just like transplant it, because I definitely did not just like copy and paste it, you know? Yeah, yeah. That would be in way too obvious. Um but like I used Old Norse. You know, there's there's a lot of names in the Shindian culture that I drew from Old Norse, you know? I found like an Old Norse dictionary online and <laughs> literally like I just was like, you know, I I am not a linguist. I'm not gonna be able to come up with a language. If I tried, it would be awful. So yeah, I used Old Norse. You know, I used Latin in other places because I know some Latin, um, like Greek, but with Shind specifically, sticking to the example, um, one of, I drew from, you know, Norse stories, Viking stories uh, with different clans, you know, fighting uh, throughout history. So there's some of that. Uh, But then I also integrated, you know, a story that I love, the Odyssey, with their foundation. Like their founder went on an Odyssey, to found Shind, you know? So in the Odyssey, obviously Odysseus doesn't end this story with founding Ithaca, you know, and founding his home and like finding Penelope and like marrying Penelope and settling down. Right. Obviously he's got like a home. It's about returning to home for the founder of Shind, um, like Siana, It's about finding essentially a new home. So I drew a lot of inspiration from the Odyssey in terms of this, you know, uh, travel across the ocean right and at least in 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 universe there's this book called the saga of Siana um, it's not really a book but huh. it's it's you know an oral tradition that's passed down and has recently gained a lot of popularity in the capital city of superbia because there's a lot of shindian um shindian people there who have moved to superbia uh, after a recent alliance um, not really recent it's it's an older alliance, but in the saga of Siana, you know, they tell this like epic story of of like Siana's crazy journey across the north where she like interacts with these, these Shindian gods and like you know battles the you know the weather and the ocean and the lightning, and then like when she gets to the the uh what's now known as like the Parvos Mountains, you know, she she single-handedly, like, carves out the volcano. Like, the volcano's about to erupt, and so she, you know, calls the, the whole sea, which she just conquered, like, up out of the, the, the ocean, which is kind of, like, crazy. And, you know, she, like, dumps it on the volcano and, like, makes the volcano go inactive. And then, like, she uses, you know, the, the sea to then carve out the hollow of, yeah uh, to hollow out the volcano. And then she, like, basically, like, claims it as her own. Um, and she names it Parvos Mountain after this, you know, bear that traveled with her on the entire journey. Which, it, uh, if you start to think about it and pick it apart, in universe, you're like, okay, come on, a bear like sailed with her across the entire north, and then she <laughs> conquered the ocean. <laughs> like, <laughs> ah. But like, some of the inspiration I drew there was was literally like it's it's from these great epic Greek tales, you know, like that's. Yeah. But then I took that and I was like, yeah, I I love this idea, this epic journey. And I also love Shind as a culture drawing from this Nordic background. So I'm going to find a way to marry these. Um, like I'm going to find a way to to synthesize these and what would that look like? Um, and cool. yeah, so Shind sort of was born from that. And there's a lot of other stuff throughout the years, but that's like the the foundation of Shind was, was largely born out of, um, you know, the Norse gods and then
0: the... Greek epics, specifically the Odyssey. So that's actually yeah. really cool. I didn't know that. That's really cool. Yeah, I like the idea of like the carving out of the mountain. Yeah, of yeah, course. I mean, that's pretty cool. That's pretty, <laughs> it's a badass story. Yeah, it's, it's a badass. She's a founder. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Cool. Okay. Um, this is going to be somewhat of a slightly change of topic, but this this is burning my mind and. I'm going to have to ask this to pretty much any author that writes fiction books now today which is how much do video games um, how much do video games inspire the way that you write so I've noticed both with your writing and then the book that we just published The Hail The God and King it was one of the it was one of the com- first conversations I had with the author, which was I sort of laughingly was like, "Hey, did did, did, you, play did you play World of, world of Warcraft?" Warcraft. Yeah, He's you, like, "Yeah, I really liked World of Warcraft." I was, <laughs> I was like, "You know, which which is <laughs> which is cool." Like like to me, it's really interesting because you can't get away from that. Like it's part of the fabric of
1: like, of the world today.
0: Of the world yeah. today, and not only is it the fabric of the world, but I remember you talking about this, and this is maybe we, where we can go with this. But but it's like there are different mediums through which we can tell stories right we can we can write you know books we could tell epic tales you know epic poetry um, you know you know fiction and and all the subgenres of fiction and um you know and now you know we've talked about like the space the space odysseys and yeah. and and that becoming a kind of a new form of of epic of epic yeah. and then you know and then you have and then you have operas, right? You can tell stories through operas, and you can tell stories through plays, and you can tell stories through um, you know, TV you know, shows. through TV shows yeah. and through movies and now and also video games. And I think like there's a tendency for a lot of people to I think, put down the art of telling a story through a movie, a TV show, or a video game, because I think oftentimes, especially, and fair enough, a lot of times, people take what is the written thing, and they'll try to turn it into the TV show or the movie, and people will watch it, and they'll be like, "That is not is as good. Not as good. Yeah. And it's true, it's not as good because yeah. it, the original form you can only like to write a book is a particular form of art, and um, and it can only really be that form of art, um, and it is, it is, and it is yeah. the best when it is in its most natural form, and yet, of course. So example: Who anybody who knows me knows that I will, I will, you know, sing the praises of Christopher Nolan, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, up yeah. and down. But I think there is that what that 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 comment that he's made, which is that he tries to tell stories that can only be tell, told through film, mm-hmm. has always stuck with me. Which is because all of his movies are, are, uh, are like if they were to be a book, they would be terrible. Like, they wouldn't, it wouldn't work as books. I mean, Interstellar and, you know, and, <laughs> um, I mean, even, an Inception and even Dunkirk, yeah. you know, the way that he retells the story of Dunkirk can only be really told through the medium of uh, a movie. Yeah. He, like, as soon as you film, try to
1: tell it through a book, like, if you tried to make a book adaptation of the movie, it would just be a different thing.
0: Yes, entirely. it would be a completely different thing. Like, you can write a book about Dunkirk, right? About the, the the historical, you know, the historical event of Dunkirk, and you can write a incredible book about that particular historic event. Yet he was able to take that historic event and through the art of filmmaking, tell a story that can only be told through the art of filmmaking. And I wonder that about, I wonder about that with video games. And I was talking to Mm -hmm. somebody that I went to school with about this, and I'm kind of curious to get your thoughts on this of like both the art of telling a story through a video game and then also, like, how much do have video games um, molded your writing? Um, because I think in some ways, I mean, I'm reading your, and again, yours, and then also the book that we just published, Hail the Egon and King, which is like, there's no doubt in my mind that they have been somewhat formed by video games. How much? I'm not really sure. But they definitely have been, and it's interesting yeah. to me. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the storytelling in video games
1: are you, are you kind of wondering like how is it different in video games than no, in, like, how does it inspire or? like
0: why what about the story like i pick up on it i don't even know what i'm picking up on which is video game esque and i don't even know maybe you don't know i don't know I, i'm well, really curious about this with, and, your, with your first question
1: though like is it how like how what what is unique about video games as a medium or? yeah
0: maybe maybe what is unique about a video the the, the, the and like what stories are you able to tell in video games that you aren't able to tell through any other medium right and yeah. or or you can tell the same story but it's not going to be the same thing right like there's a there's it, it is its own medium of art and and what is unique about that medium of art compared to others yeah I, mean, um, a, I don't even know if I can answer that for other forms of art but it,
1: I mean something that video games do I think that that no other art form does. In this, in the way that video games do it, is uh, it puts the player. I mean, it, it puts the person interacting with the art in a central role. Um, even if you're playing a game like, let's say, I don't know, Assassin's Creed, right, where you're playing a character. Well, I, I don't know. They've got the newer RPG trilogy, trilogy, but go back to like the earlier games, Assassin's Creed One, Assassin's Creed Two. Like you're playing as a character, Altaïr. In yeah. Assassin's Creed 2, Brotherhood and Revelations, you're playing as a character, Ezio, right? So it's a set character. They've got a history. They've got a backstory, all that stuff. Um, they're the main character, all that jazz. But when you're playing through the video game, right, you're controlling Ezio, right? You're almost... You're controlling literally what he wears. Yeah, difference. you're controlling what he wears, what he does. Uh, often, you know, which missions he completes first, uh, like how many side quests he completes each game. Um, in Revelations, how many tower defense minigames do you do? <laughs> the answer is not many, because I didn't find them very fun. But, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I'm sorry, they're, they're actually, whatever. They tried something new. Um, yeah. I think it gives you this agency. That's probably the most generic answer that anybody will give you. But it it, it gives the interact some agency in the art that you often don't have. Like, when you go to an art gallery, right the artist isn't there like holding your hand, you know, helping holding your hand and like guiding you to paint the painting. Right? Or when you go to like read a book, the, the the author isn't like, you know, whispering the words in your ear and you're like typing it out, you know, as you go. But I think in a video game there's a little bit more of this feeling of I'm almost helping this story unfold. Like I'm helping this world come to life. Um. And I I think that's really appealing to a modern audience. Like, I think people nowadays they want agency, they want control. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. Um, and video games give them that, and it's an art form that I want to say is unique in that, in that regard. Like, I don't know. Maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there's very many other art forms where the audience is participating in that same way where you're almost like where, I mean, this is just speaking from personal experience, but like, I don't know. I've been playing Elden Ring recently. Right. And one of the things that's really cool about it is, is, you know, as I play through it, the world is seemingly like shaped by my, my, by, like, what I do. You know? Almost. Yeah. I guess Elden Ring is maybe not the best example of this, but, you know, there's different endings that you can achieve depending on what you do. You know, in one playthrough, I might not go fight these ten bosses. You know, on the next playthrough, I might choose to fight those bosses and get a different ending. Um, Or I might choose to, like, complete this side quest, get a different ending. The next playthrough, I might not even interact with the person who starts that side quest. I might not even ever go to that area, right? Like, it's you're experiencing something different legitimately experiencing something different every time you play through Elden Ring. A better example of this would be like the Mass Effect trilogy. Right? You're literally creating a new Shepard every time you play through it, making different decisions. Um, I
0: remember that game, yeah.
1: Granted, the endings I don't know, they kind of you sort of run into a limitation with how much you can truly influence. But at least when you're playing through, you feel like you have a great deal of control over the world, over the characters. And you do. Like, who lives, who dies. Um, you know, you can get to the end of Mass Effect 3 and and it can be, you know, joyful and happy because all of your companions throughout the, the trilogy, you know, survived and, and are living, you know, well now or at least as well as they can. Or you can get to the end and it's like, you're, you're like one of the last left, like, fighting it. Like, it's sad if you play it that way. Like, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. It's a very different experience.
0: Yeah,
1: And that's kind of the agency I'm talking about. Like, I don't think you get that same agency when you're watching a movie. You don't get that same agency when you go to, you know, a museum and, and look at, look at art. Um, I'm not saying that looking at art or watching a movie or reading a book is worse. It's just different. And I think that's one of the thing that things that differentiates video games from other art forms,
0: which is interesting because like, okay, so there's almost benefits. There's almost, you know, course there's pros and cons to both right because there's there's something about not having your own agency or or having less of it the where you're able to go to something and let it have more of an effect upon you and the sense of <laughs> um you know i'll read the psalms and it's like sometimes like you read the psalms and you're like man i don't pray the way the psalmist prays <laughs> like i wish my heart was in this place yeah. the psalmist's heart was in but when you get to that place, you just just pray the psalm, just read the psalm through. Let it let it ha- let it have an effect upon you, and just sit at it, like mm-hmm. like um, almost like put yourself in the psalmist's shoes, or or imagine or imagine the psalmist praying that prayer and what it would be like to be able to pray that prayer and have the heart of the psalmist. Yeah. And and in that way the psalm will begin to actually form your heart to, you know, be more conformed to the actual psalms, right? So it's yeah. this beautiful almost you know, and, and, and other forms of art have that ability. Whereas with the video game, like, it's somewhat revealing to you Yourself, yeah <laughs> like no, the decision, that's... the decisions that you make in a video game can be s- at times yeah. revealing about w- what's going on interiorly with you. And I, I mean, I've seen this with good things, bad things. Like yeah. you know, ta- yeah. you know, when you're talking about the Assassin's Creed, it's like you also get to choose who you kill. <laughs>
1: Yeah, like you know, you can go and, massacre every single yeah, guard
0: in Rome. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like there's be a monster. Yeah, <laughs> you, can, you, can be a, you can be a mass murderer, <laughs> you know, like yeah. just a maniac killer, right? And it's like, and or you can be, or you can literally have like mercy on certain people, right? There's a yeah. certain like.
1: No, I think that that I mean, again, I'll go back to like Mass Effect or Dragon Age, like any of these more classic RPGs, like. I've tried to play through and do evil, like evil playthroughs. You know, people will do these like evil playthroughs where they play through and they, you know, go full like renegade where they're like, yeah, I want to be like, I'm just going to be like as cold and calculating as humanly possible. Like I almost want to appear like the villain. Right. And I've tried to do that and I've gotten through like, eh, like half of mass effect one. And then I'm like, I can't do this. Like, it's just such <laughs> a, I'm such a
0: dick. Like, I, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs>
1: I don't know. And maybe part of that is, like, just socially, I'm like, oh, somebody's watching over my shoulder and probably judging me, but...
0: But there's uh, also... I, a, no, but I, I don't know about that, because I think there is a certain... You're talking about, like, we ha- we have an agency within the video games, right? Like, there there is a certain agency that is put into the hands of the person playing it. And if there is some sort of agency, there is some sort of moral agency that... And, and look, sometimes it's lighter, and sometimes it's less light. Okay, so, great example of this, Right. I think when you were talking about people having an agency I think of College Football NCA Football 14 the last last the last great the last football game that has come out what a great yeah. game right and what I think about is is like the the dynasty mode when you're a coach and you're able to form your own team mm-hmm. or the like the the campus I can't remember what they called it where you're where you're getting to play as a player, right? And yeah. I found this guy on Instagram, James Bordeaux, I think is his name. It's really fun to like, it's just super small little, where he just, he's literally like, playing through as like dynasty mode or he's playing through as like a, a player right and and he's make and he's building a whole story off of it on Instagram where he's like you know I was doing this and he's putting himself in you know first person he's like he's like yeah. well you know and I and we entered this great game and then I struggled in this game and all this stuff and it's really entertaining to watch cuz it's how you feel when you play the game it's like yeah. i'm doing these things like i'm making these great plays on the field. I'm making these recruiting decisions. I'm gonna take a cupcake team, I'm gonna take, you know, Florida Atlantic or Appalachian <laughs> State or like some other like <laughs> bum school yeah. and like turn it into I mean Appalachian State's pretty good. Florida Atlantic has, has had the music Appalachian State is very good. But yeah, you like it, you you know, it, but it's, really it's literally what team, like yeah. Deion Sanders is doing at Colorado right now, which is like every person that played ncaa football wishes they could do what deon sanders is literally doing in real life like that's what we were dreaming of doing when you were playing dynasty mode and in, mm-hmm. in, in college and ncaa football which was like take a school that is just bottom of the barrel school i mean matthew went out to a colorado game and was like dude colorado is like the worst program in the world <laughs> they were horrible last year mm-hmm. like just a pathetic football team and it's like deon sanders is going in there and it's like i'm gonna turn these guys around and if he does it He's like living... dude. He's, he's, he's like a living a, legend. He yeah. is a living legend if he's able to yeah. take a Colorado program. He did and, what all of us tried to do with NCAA 14. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He suddenly was bringing in blue chip recruits. He's yeah. bringing in, you know, he's bringing in these great recruits. He's playing he's, on easy mode. Yeah, he's, he's, somehow, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. He's, he's playing a hard game on easy mode. Yeah, so it's like... But, um... Yeah, but like that agency, right? So, like, people having that sort of agency... In football, in a, in a game of football, there's not like there's not much, like, moral agency there. In a game that's, like, there's more violence or there's more, you know, The Witcher, I know there's a lot of, like, agency in that, like, where you have, you can kind of make certain decisions that go yeah. certain ways. That one's actually a great game,
1: because it, it's, I don't know, I don't know, have you played through The Witcher no. 3? Oh, yeah. okay. Well, it's just, it's not as, like, with Mass Effect, there's, like, a morality system almost, like Paragon Renegade. And so you can almost see like what dis- which decisions good which decisions bad with the with with The Witcher three, uh, again spoiler territory. If you haven't played it and you're gonna play it, don't. Do you care if I spoil
0: this? No, no, it's okay. Fine. You've kind of spoiled The Witcher for me many times. So uh, sorry, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine <laughs> I'm about that now. I, I doubt I'm. Yeah, I'm not a much of a um, video game player. For anybody else, spoilers.
1: But there's this one. There's this one mission where you. Uh, I hope I don't butcher any of the details here. Basically, you're in a swamp. Uh, you are interacting with these three witches, and at one point, you get sent to, you know, this tree spirit, and they want you to like kill this tree spirit or something. And if you kill this tree spirit, I, I forget the exact series of events, but they'll let like these children go or or whatever. They'll let this person go. I think it's children. Uh, it's been a while since I played this game. Um, they just remastered, I should play it again. Anyway, first time I went there, I was like, oh, you know, it's a video game, you know, because. Started talking to the tree spirit. I kind of felt bad for the tree spirit. Um, so, you know, it came came down to decision time. And I was like, all right, I can, like, let this tree spirit go. Or I can kill it. Uh, and I was thinking in my mind, well, I probably can have my cake and eat it too. Let the tree spirit go because I think that's the right thing to do. And then I'll probably be able to head back and rescue the hostages. or the, the tro- I think it was the drin and we'll be good to go so i let the tree spirit go and i was like we gonna go go back to the swamp gonna go rescue these children and they're dead like they (laughs) and they're like that was like the first part in that game where i was like oh that kind of cuts deep but it wasn't it's uh, it wasn't like a morally interesting black and white situation you know um and i mean i think the witcher 3 does that incredibly well uh, Dragon Age, I think, does that really well too. Mass Effect is also pretty good at that. But I don't know, like, with the agency thing. Yeah, I think you're right. Like, as you get into the better games, they they more and more mirror real life, where they put you into situations where, yeah, like, you kind of do figure out what you would do, or or like, you you get to see a little bit of yourself. They're almost like holding a mirror up, um, and you can see a little bit of yourself in the decisions your character makes
0: yeah yeah that that it's fascinating to me like it's yeah. fascinating and i mean we talked about this in the first podcast which was like cord like a year Ages ago, ago with Parker, yeah. which was like the meta with the metaverse which is like that's what's slightly terrifying about the metaverse i think is you know people fully immersing themselves in this thing that mm-hmm. completely immerses their senses right and the fact that your sense the, our senses are our our experience of reality and the way that we have agency in this world in some sense, right? Yeah. You thinking, hey, I can just go into this world and do whatever the heck I want in this world. It's like, there's probably more moral agency there than you may realize. You know? Yeah. Um, I mean, the more that I think... It, like you said, like if you, you play The Witcher 3 and that cuts deep, right? It's like... Oof, my gosh, these kids just died, and then now you're gonna think about like, okay, I gotta make a different. Maybe I gotta make a different decision this time. You I know, gotta if I'm gonna start my entire playthrough, yeah. <laughs> <my kids laughs> yeah, yeah, like, like, but like, you know, don't maybe restart the whole entire playthrough. maybe you're thinking about that, and then maybe the next time you play it through, you're gonna make a different decision because you're like, you know, I, I, and and right, like, what that's doing is it's almost using your moral muscles, you know, and, mm-hmm. and making you use the moral muscles as you interact with a particular story. And I remember you, and this kind of gets back some sense to the the original question, which is like that they're able to, video games are able to tell really compelling stories. Yeah. Like they're able to actually tell epic stories in which you actually have some agency in that epic story. Um, yeah, you get to be Odysseus, you know... Are you going? Yeah, like yeah, no, are, are are you going <laughs> to go sleep with that witch? It is. Yes, really going to do that? Uh, probably every then. time. <laughs> yeah. No, I. No, no, I, <laughs> no like, yeah. what, what are you going to do? Are you gonna Are you gonna Are you gonna stuff your ears with cotton on the boat, or are you gonna also tie yourself to the mast and listen to the yeah. sirens? Um, are you gonna Are you gonna not tie yourself to the the mast and listen to the sirens, and then and then yeah. and then you know probably you know crash that boat on the ship are you gonna are you You know there yeah i mean again like there's certain and honestly that's kind of what like that's what you do
1: when you have good dialogue around a book too you know especially a a storybook like the epics you know you kind of go through there and you you end up talking through the story the characters sort of what happened and you start to think about you know what was underlying the, the story what was underlying these characters decisions and then you start to think about like like what I've done that, um, and you eventually get. I think you do eventually get to that point in in books and other story medium. Hmm. Um, I mean, I remember reading the Iliad and discussing it in class, and one of the big conversations was around you know Achilles versus Hector oh, gosh. in terms. Yes, yeah, you probably remember this too, right?
0: Yeah, everybody There's, wants to
1: go and be like, Oh,
0: I'm a Hector, Hector fanboy.
1: Yeah, yeah. I argued I, I argue devil's advocate for Hector one oh, class. Don't worry, I ended up converting to Achilles Achilles <laughs> but my point there is that I think from a modern perspective you read that and you really do sympathize with Hector right yeah but you have to do some deep analysis there to realize not even that deep I like maybe you do have to do deep analysis I don't know where you're coming from but at a certain point you do get to the perspective that like you know what Homer was doing here was was operating under these uh Greek virtues you know, he was operating in this, this uh, mindset that was thoroughly Greek. And when we look at the story, we're operating from a modern mindset. From yeah. a modern mindset, Hector doing what he does makes a lot of sense to us. And we see Hector a lot of the times. Um, I mean, this is, was true in my class, probably true in your class. A lot
0: of people looked at Hector and they were like, well, he's the hero of the Iliad. All the girls, every girl. Yeah, and, from, and honestly, <laughs> well, I mean to be fair, it makes sense. Like yeah, you, have, from a modern, postmodern perspective, yeah, it totally makes sense. You have like, one yeah. character like Achilles and Brissius, and you're like, well, i, I more, I, yeah. I kind of want to be, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but you have to, yeah, you have to
1: like sit down, think about it, like put yourself in the mindset of, you know, the the Greek listening to this play or listening to this epic, so um, I think really get get more meaning out of it. I'm not saying like the you know, reading it from a modern perspective is necessarily bad, but I think if you really want to like get into it, you gotta go back to, you know, what was the original frame of mind that you were gonna read this in. I'm getting a little off topic here. But
0: yeah, you know, yeah. Well
1: the gist or I guess what I'm trying to say is is I think at a certain point you do get to the when you do when you do thorough analysis and have good dialogue about a story, regardless of the medium, I think at a certain point you do get to A question of, you know, would I have done that? Um, Or was that the right thing to do? Like, should this character have done that? Hmm. And you start to think through the agency. And then with that, there's this creative process, at least for me, when I'm reading books, of like, okay, what if this character had done something else? And then I start to like, get creative about it and think through like maybe this would have happened maybe this would have happened i mean fan fiction like think about it, like fan fiction you yeah, know all yeah, the, yeah. the the snape wives of the early 2000s what if they had been there and snape had fallen in love with them and gotten <laughs> married would he have had to die and they could have brought him back from the brink <laughs> could have been as Lily Potter. I don't know. I'm getting... No, 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 no I no. We
0: all, I went way too... No, there, no, there far is... Off the there, there is something... cuts. Yeah. No, there is something about uh, the... I mean, the fan fiction is, is probably actually a pretty good example of this whole... Like, when you read a book, you start to dream of and you start to envision being in that same place and what decisions you might make or or making the same decisions the character make. And that gets back to the whole point where it's like, especially with, I think that's what's so revealing. It's And I suppose they're t- revealing in different ways, right? Where, mm-hmm. When you read the Iliad of the Odyssey, Homer's revealing something incredibly deep about human nature and about the relationship that, you know, it's not everything. That but, I mean, Homer's... the Homer's the goat. He's Homer the is the goat. Yeah. He is the OG. He's the goat. <laughs> he is he the... or she or they? No, Who knows? it is he, and it is what? he is the goat. Homer and there was. is the grave of Homer, and I will go there <laughs> with Parker someday <laughs> so, as a, on a should, oh, and we yeah. will be pouring libations. libations out to Homer as we read the Iliad. Right. Um, <laughs> so, um, sorry. No, the point. Just <laughs> trying to interject some more drama. No. The, um not no, but drama. like. There are are things that are being revealed about the way that man, about man's nature, and also about the way that man interacts with the gods, right? And all of these things are realities. Let's make that very clear. (laughs) He's revealing something very deep about the nature of reality, right? And... You know, it's why he's quoted almost like the scriptures by, you know, Socrates and Plato and Aristotle and all the great, you know, all the Greek philosophers, right? Yeah. But there's... And mimicked throughout all of history. Virgil, Milton. yeah pretty much, yeah.
1: tried to write an epic after him. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, exactly. But the, to do this Homer guy.
0: But it's like when you read that, oftentimes you're put in this place of like, would I have made the same decision? It's the same thing with the Psalms, right? Like it's going back to my uh, conversation about the Psalms, which is... Like when you read the Psalms or when you read Homer, you 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 are also in that place. Like, am I able to pray this Psalm the same way? Would I make the same decision? Would I have the same sort of conviction, conviction or um, virtue that this that you know Odysseus or Achilles has? Right? Do I have that same virtue? And when you don't have when you find that that thing is lacking in yourself the the psalm or the epic is actually able to impress upon you and help you to make that decision to help you to have that virtue mm. by living in some sense the life of achilles or the life of the psalmist right praying with the psalmist right yeah. allowing the psalmist in some sense to carry you In your prayer or Achilles to carry you in virtue, right? Like there, there's an ability to actually, that thing can begin to impress itself and kind of carry you to, to heights that you cannot go yourself. Um, whereas like you said with a video game there's something incredibly revealing like a mirror almost where you're where you're mirrored and at times I think because you don't have the same pressures that you have on yourself in this world right when you have there's certain pressures you can also make and I think there is an argument to made that you are able to if you desire virtue that you're able to that you're able to practice some sort of you can practice virtue and you can practice vice yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. in video games like you can actually um, do both of those things within video games? Uh, not probably NCAA football. NCAA football, you're, you're having a great time. And you're just playing some football, and you're. you're... <laughs> yeah, they don't let you simulate the frat parties,
1: unfortunately. No,
0: no, you can't, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, gonna, you don't have no. <laughs> it's <gonna be> really <laughs> revealing what they do. Yeah, that would be Cap-a-Beta. hilarious. It's just like a yeah, it's like a yeah. NCAA football, but real life, and it's like, are you going to? Yeah. <laughs> How would you like to? You failed the, the drug freshman. test. <laughs> you are kicked off the team. Like, dude, what is this? What is this game? <laughs> um, oh, you drink too man. much. You missed practice. You are now running laps. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, that's yeah. Funny. no, but um, no, I, yeah, it's really interesting. Sort mm-hmm. of like the kind of getting back to the mediums of art. Like, it's interesting. And, I, and now I want to kind of... I, I really do want to try to dig a little bit deeper into the, the very original one, which is, like, how do you think that that has affected the way of writing? Because, like, yeah. I do think that the way that you have written and the way that Alex wrote his his book have, like, the stories and the more modern writing all seems to be affected by this. And I guarantee every mm-hmm. young writer is going to be um, influenced in some sense yeah by video games, and like how does it affect the writing because i I'm not it's like when you were talking about agency i i at times with your book, I almost felt as though I was in like I had some agency and I know this is gonna sound weird, but like yeah. I don't know if it's just like a I don't even know how that would come through and and you know, in Alex's book, it really comes through in like just the world building. Like the way in which people build worlds in video games is very specific. Like you can just like kind of, mm-hmm. and, and that kind of came through at times in, in, in the way that he um, he built his world, which I think is a beautiful world. Actually, the more the, the more I read it, I'm just like yeah. fascinated by the world that he's built. But it's very different than what you that you've done. So it's it's kind of two different. Two different things, and yet both of you were also still influenced by the video games. <laughs> and, and I'm just yeah. I, think really... I need to read. I, I need to read Alex's book. And... Yeah, yeah. Kind of but yeah. Just... Anyways, do you have thoughts on that? Like, what about your writing? Yeah. Would you say is like akin to on a really this way the video yeah. game stories told on a
1: really practical level. Um. This isn't just video games, but I think video games does help with this. Uh, it helps blocking out scenes. Um, does that make sense? no so I think I don't know how much video games play into this but when I'm thinking up a battle scene let's say uh one of the things that I've noticed as I write more uh and more is that I'm hyper aware of like environment if that makes sense um
0: yeah, that makes sense
1: Environment and and just you know where where are the characters situated where are the enemies situated how many enemies are there um, you know what, what weapons do they have right and I think part of that for me is carryover from video games honestly uh, just having this sense of scale in my mind of okay we're in a you know where this this fight scene takes place in a alleyway it's a narrow alleyway there's not gonna be any you know, maneuvering around the enemies it's gonna have to be like a like an up front you know one's one enemy's in front one enemy's in back you're just gonna have to like you know fight it out that way so in that sense of like setting the scene or blocking out the scene video games have done a lot for me i think Again, i got haven't f- like i can't i can't say how much of that actually comes from video games versus maybe just even watching movies or thinking about this mm-hmm. and
0: imagining things i was almost thinking what you were about to say was like blocks of scenes like, uh, like, the way video games are right. You have the cutscenes, and then you might have oh, I see. like yeah. in particular video games, right? You have the cutscenes, and you have the then you're yeah. playing an act, you know, action scenes, then cutscenes, then action scenes again, right? And those are I mean, kind I, of the video games I, yeah. that you tend to play more than other ones, which is like, like almost like in writing, like literally blocks of yeah. writing.
1: I, I don't, think I I see I kind of see where you're going for coming from there. I think that's. Honestly, I think that's just telling a story. (laughs) (laughs) To be perfectly honest, yeah. Like, like if I'm writing a story, I don't want... I mean, I guess it depends on the story I'm writing, but, you know, with book two, there's been a a lot of dialogue in book two. Um, Well, not just a lot of dialogue, but there's not as much action in book two because it's kind of in a... Without spoiling anything, it's... I guess I, I'll just say there's not there's not as much action in book two, um, so one of the things I've struggled with is okay the action that is there. First, where do I put that action? Second, how do I you know drizzle that throughout the story or sprinkle that throughout the story so that the readers aren't just like, oh my gosh, not another chapter that's just two dudes talking like for seventeen funny, pages. Though, it's
0: funny that you say that though because of what I've read of book 2 there's more action than you're giving it credit for like but it's not what people would quintessentially call like an action scene like there is a lot of action yeah i think that's another aspect to it is
1: figuring out how to interject these little rushes of adrenaline in without simply having characters like five. duke it out <laughs> yeah yeah right because if you have characters duking it out every 5 pages like you're not going to have a story You're just going to have a narration of, like, Mortal Kombat, basically, with maybe some world building and quips thrown in here. Yeah, yeah. I guess to circle back, though, I don't know if that necessarily comes from video games. I think that's just something that any storyteller is going to have to contend with. Yeah. Um, And, yeah, that action can come from conflict, like a conflict of philosophy, you know, where you have two characters who vehemently disagree about something. And the chapters, and them like arguing about it, like that can be tense. That can be sort of action packed, in a sense. So when I say action, I don't necessarily mean yeah, the characters duking it out.
0: Yeah, I mean maybe we'll have to probably end with this because it's as we're recording this, it's midnight, and I got to get up and try to build a API tomorrow. So (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to get up and not be a total loser in the morning, Um, but. In terms of the video games, like, I think it's interesting, like, when you were just talking about, it, brought to mind, you know, we were just talking about uh, J.K. Rowling before this, um, and Harry Potter, and Harry Potter, everybody had the experience, probably, of reading Harry Potter and being like, this is like a movie. Like, yeah. if they just made that, if they just had made the books scene for scene... It's really good. Everybody wished they could just and yet again, you can't do that because the film and, and, and some of the films are better than others. But like you can't really do that because the medium of book is still the medium of a book. Um and the medium of and yet like she almost more than any other author I think represents the authors who were influenced by film. And and maybe she would agree with that. Maybe she would completely disagree with that. I'm yeah. not sure. I'm sure she you Yeah, done. like I'm sure that she's had other influences. But oh, yeah. I I feel as an ex, as a reader, you read those books almost like these films come alive, right? And you're in it, right? You're in this film with these characters. And when I have read your book and Alice's book the thing that has struck me is this mix now between these video games and these films and and all these other influences and and Alex and you have both read just an incredible amount of of fiction and mythology and epics and ancient literature and all this stuff so there's this giant conglomeration of things and yet what's so interesting to me I think at times stands out because it's different than anything else I've ever read is literally the influence of video games because it's different. It stands out because it is different. And and, and there's like a, there's, again, this isn't bad, good or bad. I think, you know, so many people just, I mean, for different reasons. I think people have disliked J.K. Rowling and Harry Potter, and we don't. Let's not go there because then we're gonna spend another hour talking about all that kind of stuff. We'll touch upon that some other time. But I like, I, don't, I
1: don't like Harry Potter. I like Harry Potter too. I did
0: too. Um, Good yeah, book I, yeah, too. Yeah. No, the 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 books were great. I, the yeah. movies, I'm not as much of a fan of. I, I found the movies at times just kind of like they just like bored me more than the wow. books did. Like I just found the books were so yeah. much more vibrant and alive, and there was so there's so much more to the books um, than the movies. But the char- yeah, I mean, and you get, you get this with Lord of the Rings too, but
1: the characterizations were were different in the movies than, than in the books, yeah. especially with like Ron. Ron yeah. in the books was cooler, way more developed yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're in the movies they did they did around a little bit of a disservice and Ginny too Ginny was yeah you're like why is he marrying her <laughs> i know <laughs> in the movies it doesn't make much sense in the books you're like oh yeah, it oh, makes more yes. sense well, there's a lot of there's a lot of chemistry there yeah, yeah it makes that makes sense I get, I being I together. Can, yeah, yeah 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 sorry no 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 it, 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 no but like
0: yeah. just like she sort of to me at least represents this author influenced by movies and film yeah um I've read your book and now Alex's, which it's like, man, there's there's going to be young authors now that are just like, that are undeniably influenced by video games, and that yeah. I think is actually a good thing. I, I, I again, I, I hope so. Yeah. No, <laughs> so, I do. I you know I think again, I I think anything that's different and change is going to be hard, but I, I I do think that there is something legitimately beautiful and good about this sort of. Uh, medium of art and and the fact that authors I think it's also just a fact of the matter like yeah. people are going to be influenced by this stuff um, mm-hmm. and you know there's going to be some people I mean I'm not a video game player if I ever wrote a book which uh, who knows what the, if I'll ever be able to write a book but like if I were ever to, able to write one I wouldn't be as influenced by video games I just right. wouldn't um, whereas like you played you know, or, you know, a number mean, of video games <laughs> at times too many. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, uh, and, and I know Alex played a lot of video games and maybe he didn't. I don't, I don't know. I, I'm not going to, don't want to throw you under the bus, Alex. Maybe you, maybe you did. Maybe you played too many at times or I don't know who knows, but I know that the influence <laughs> was there. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I'm just kind of interested in it because I, I think it's actually quite beautiful. Like I find, the way that you guys have written to be a really compelling and captivating, like your story is captivating and compelling. It's incredible to read. It's 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 an incredible story, and and it, and it, it's different than anything else that I've read from other stories. Uh, there's similarities to lots of things, and you, we can talk about all those. But it's like there is something different because of the influences that are at play yeah as you've grown up and one of those happens to be the video games you know and I think that's just fascinating it's fascinating to me because it's it's interesting to see people's influences come out in their writing and I I think that's something we talk about with any any author
1: you go back and read throughout history like Dostoevsky if you're gonna read Dostoevsky you're gonna have to think and talk about the context no No, but, you you know, you got to understand the the circumstances of his life. Like, he spent some time in prison. Yeah. You know, it's brutal. It was a rough political scene in Russia. Like, there's all this stuff going on um, at the time that influenced his writing. And it's probably, you know, the same for any author um, throughout history. Sorry, I lost my train of thought there. Uh... Yeah. yeah, I guess the last thing on video games I want to say is is um, the one danger with them is that they're really, really, they fulfill your need for creativity too easily at times, if that makes sense. Yeah. So like something I've noticed recently um, is just that, you know, when I play video games... I think this is a good thing. Like props to to the people who design the video games, but like I feel kind of fulfilled creatively when I like log off. Uh, depending on the video game, you know, if I'm playing a, a first-person shooter, is probably less true. But um, yeah, something I've, I've something I've thought about is is the fact that like a lot of creativity and a lot of my best like ideas, story ideas, and the times that I'm thinking of the story and progressing the story in my mind. Um, and honestly on the paper or when I'm bored, like when I, when I don't have an outlet and when I'm kind of like pushed to the brink and I'm like, "Ah, all right, I guess I'll think about this now, you know, or I'm so bored that like I see something and it sparks like a little bit of creative interest in me. And I'm like, Ooh, that makes me think about this. That makes me think about this. Now I'm thinking about the book. Now I'm thinking about this character. Now I'm progressing the storyline. Um. like yeah yeah which is it's,
0: absolutely the criticism of I mean most I mean for me it's like YouTube right or other things right I mean that, I think that's the it's criticism it's very of, engaging yeah, yeah I mean and, and, and it's and again props to people who are able to do it uh, also not props to the people who did it intentionally to try to addict people no props yeah. <laughs> but, get, rid of, get rid of microtransactions in video games yeah that's, that's my one <laughs> plea yeah.
1: to the video game makers who I seriously doubt are going to listen
0: to this but yeah. No, yeah. I, There is like a there is a um... No loot boxes. Yeah, no loot boxes. I don't know. It's, um, it's a complicated topic. Free loot boxes, Fortnite. No, I'm yeah, joking. Yeah. Free. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. Make video games socialist again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they ever were but <laughs>
0: No, there's uh there's a certain like you know, we talk about you know, it's the it's the conversation that surrounds cell phones and and any other sort of, you know uh You know, these electronic devices that we have, which is like they fulfill a need at times too easily. Mm -hmm. And then because they fulfilled that need too easily, we're not able to really discover the true fulfillment of that need, right? Um, Because they're fulfilling it artificially in some sense. And they're not, again, I think that there are times where it's fulfilled, it's in the right place. I remember, you know, Bishop Barron said, you know, they, you know, our life like being like a stained glass window, right? And when when the the makers of the stained glass windows, they they made them so that that the center of it is is usually, you know, Christ, and the the absolute center is, um, you know, that which our whole life ought to be centered on, and then around the center is formed all. So it's a well ordered life. It's a vision of a well ordered life, right? And it kind of radiates out from the center. And I think in, in some sense, you know, there is there is a place for video games. There is a place for watching YouTube. I mean, the amount of things you can learn from YouTube is just yeah. unbelievable, right? Um, there's a place for these things, but we often struggle to put them in the right place. And we... we it's, where virtue comes into play and we end up having to fight because there are people who are creating certain, you know, software programs to literally help us to become vicious rather than virtuous. Right. Yeah. Um, and well, so, or, or just to exploit our natural tendencies, which
1: makes sense if you're trying to make money, like yes. yeah,
0: exploit, exploit them. Exploit yeah, if, that's, if, that's, if that's the end. Yeah. If that's the <laughs> end it's the end that you have that in mind, <laughs> it's, it's yeah. just money. Then yeah, you're going to exploit these certain tendencies, which yeah, that's again, that's another podcast that, you know, is a huge mission of, you know, mine and life. And I know Parker's and the whole bonfire media and everything is like, let's, let's, let's just try to change this Is part of the reason why I'm really yeah. interested in software development of like, if like, if we're going to live with this stuff, then we got to figure out how to use it. And we gotta, we gotta like take the bull by the horns and figure out how to like create, if we're going to live, if electrons are going to exist, then, by God, we got to figure out how to like create something that's going to help us to become virtuous rather than vicious. How can we integrate it well into
1: our lives? Yeah, like Cause cause how... for the first time in history, we have crazy technological process and or progress, and no time to to sit down and figure out.
0: Yeah, and the people who to have, integrate it well, and the people who have thought about it have only thought about it have often, you know, and I mean that the social dilemma has sort of, you know touched upon that and I think most young people would have told you that without ever having to watch the documentary which is like people thought about addicting you getting you addicted to this, this stuff yeah. like they oh, they yeah. created this stuff to be perfect purposely... but again that's another discussion Um but I do think like going back to the video games if like they fulfill this this artistic need too easily I think that's true because I think there's like but again it doesn't mean that the thing itself is is evil or wrong, but it's how you use it. How do we bit. use it well and how do we create the things which are going to put that thing in its right place and put it yeah. in its right order? Um, and and like you said, I mean, we kind of need to be bored to be creative. Like, I mean, I find the same thing with like music. Like when I, If I'm going to write a poem or a song, often just, I need the space and the time and the boredom in some sense. and It you know, can be really hard to get nowadays. It can be really hard to get. It can yeah. be really, really Especially hard if you have a new that's a new new kid and, yeah. and, and you're going to school and you're trying yeah. to you know create a you know publishing, media thing a publishing company, company and you yeah and you're there's a lots of things but in yet and yet at the same time it's like I don't know I, I've I've recently just usually yeah I, I got a lot of thoughts on that again another thing another thought huh. I'm like Maybe it's time management. I don't, I don't want to call it time management because it's so boring <laughs> it's, and like modern. Of like, I'm going to manage my time. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, but no, on a it's, basic level, yeah it's, it's it's, yeah. yeah. it's where you put your energy. No, it's true. So anyways, let's let's end there because I, uh, I need to go to bed and I need to get up tomorrow morning and actually help my team put together this API. And uh, you get to sleep.
1: Yeah. Well, I get to yeah yeah sleep i'll just sleep sleep. yeah you get to sleep yeah that's true day off Um, it's nice all right sweet thanks paul yeah no problem